0: Welcome to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey, where we explore the rise of feminine energy in life, leadership and business. This podcast is for you if you are a leader in business and corporate, and you're struggling to find meaning in what you do and how you engage your team. So join us as we talk all things leadership, strategy and culture, and how we value both the feminine and the masculine in men, women and society at large to make a difference in our workplaces. In this episode, we welcome Simon Cohn. Simon is a mentor and a chair of progressive and growing businesses in the MET and professional services sectors. And he does this because he's passionate about relationship strategy and culture and how to use them to grow businesses. I first met Simon when he was MD of MEC Mining, and he's now a non-executive director there as well as uh, being directors of other companies too. And Simon and I always have fascinating conversations about how important it is to have a great strategy, but also to have the culture there that can enable the strategy. And you really can't have one without the other. Otherwise we don't get success in business. So this is a great podcast all about a leadership journey from, from when Simon graduated as an engineer to where he is now, and also how to drive strategy and culture in organizations. So enjoy. Simon, thank you so much for being on the Captivating Leadership Podcast. I think we've been working together now for about three and a half years, so it's a delight to be able to share your leadership journey and how you look at culture, strategy and people. So thanks for coming
1: along. No, thanks, Rebecca. It's great to be uh, part of your journey as well. It's um, an exciting time and in a changing world of leadership out there.
0: Yes, it is. And I think, well, if we go back, I think, is it... 14 or 15 years for you. Uh, if you go back to the start of it all when uh, you came into MEC Mining, do you want to give us a bit of a background to you and also MEC?
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, MEC was, uh, I guess, an emerging business when I joined it. Uh, the two founders were had been operating for about 12 months and I'd recently turned working overseas. So it was a great opportunity to uh, get involved in the business that was a, basically a startup and an opportunity to grow um, to grow something that's really quite exciting today. And what does MEC do? What, what, what's it in a nutshell? So MEC is a professional services um, company in the mining industry focused around mining engineering. Um, we cover all the operational aspects um, in the day-to-day operations of a project, all the way through to traditional feasibility studies, consulting projects, due diligence um, and all the steps in between.
0: And it's been on quite a journey because I think, oh, I'm all right, is it 15 years now, 14, 15 years?
1: I think this is our 14th year. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and so you guys, like you survived the boom and bust of what happened in the Queensland resources sector or the Australia resources sector over the last few years. And you yourselves, uh, you and the two founders uh, were running the business and then decided to uh, step out of the business, be directors of the business and hand over to the management team. So MEC itself has been on quite a, a journey both in how it operates but also for you guys in terms of your leadership, I imagine.
1: Absolutely. It's been a really good learning curve for us um, through those cycles in the mining industry. Um, if there's one thing you can be sure about mining, it's never constant. The, uh, the cycles really do move up and down sharply and it really gives you an opportunity to learn and grow as part of that um, if you're willing to take that challenge on.
0: And if you look back, so you've got an engineering background, yeah? And if you look back to when you graduated and you'd been overseas and you came into this opportunity, I'm always curious about people's leadership journeys, especially those that have gone through the, uh, that come through the technical way of skills. And so they've got technical skills and then they m- go into leadership roles and what the challenges are. So what, tell us a bit about your leadership journey and what you learned along the way. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it was quite an interesting start for me. I, I, When I first graduated from university, um, the mining, we're actually in a mining downturn. Um, and it was actually hard to get jobs, but I was fortunate enough to land a job, um, where I ended up operating underground, um, with equipment for almost two years. Um, and that's where I actually had my first leadership opportunity. I I started on the cruise, you know, driving trucks and, and operating bits of gear and laboring. Um, and then I had an opportunity to take on a, just a shift boss role for, for a few weeks was my first. Sort of foray into leadership, and I basically got thrown in it because um, the uh, the shift boss didn't turn up for one of his uh, rosters. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was really my, deep end. The, that was the deep end for me. And um, but you know what I learned from that is I built really good relationships with the people I was working with on a day to day basis in that time. The foundation of leadership is trust, and because of that trust that I built up with these guys, they really supported me in that journey even though it was for a short amount of time, they really supported me in taking on that role because they knew I was new to it as well and um, they they wanted to support me rather than tear me down um, for the opportunity. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's great. So the relationship piece came out early for you in in your leadership journey.
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's it's sort of something I've always seen as fundamental to what leadership's about, um, foundational trust and relationship.
0: And I know from working with you for the last few years that culture in in organizations is absolutely one of your passions and how to get culture absolutely humming and getting results and everyone still you know getting results without ruining people and so uh, yeah I'm curious what are some of the things that you guys have tried and succeeded or tried and failed at even in in the culture space how do you how do you drive the culture of MEC?
1: Oh look it's a it's a great question because it's an ever-changing um I guess goalpost for us because um businesses evolve through the journey of growth and People come and go and, and things change in industry as well. So I think that the, the key thing to culture is being nimble with it and continually adapting um, as the needs change of the business and the market changes. But the one thing that, again, underlies that is if you're building that off a basis of trust and strong relationships, um, to me they're the core foundations that uh, make a culture strong and then people always know that you've got their best interests at heart with the decisions you make um, and then they're willing to back your plays and that's what you want from your culture. Mm. A team, team, that's going to back the plays you make.
0: And what have been some of the challenges, like the hard stuff to, to implement when, when we drive a culture?
1: Yeah, look, the hardest, the hardest stuff that we faced was as the mining swung from boom to bust, um, we had to let some people go. Um, mm. and that was really tough, um, in a culture that was built around relationships and, and being a close knit family. Um, and so that was quite a challenging time for the business. Um, yeah. but we did that in a way that, I think was uh, really respectful and a lot of people came up to us after that process and said, look, that would have been a really tough process but we really appreciate the way that you guys handled that and went through it. Um, we know it's not easy for the people left but we also know it wasn't easy for you guys to make that decision. Um, but, uh, yeah, and to me that's when you know your culture's working, when people come and give you that sort of feedback um, yeah. about the hard decisions you make, not the easy decisions.
0: Yeah, because they they've they've seen even though it's personally impacted them, they're also seeing the impact on everyone else around them. So there's a definite core theme of relationships coming through.
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's fundamental to, particularly in professional services businesses. Uh, we're not a widget factory. Um, you know, we live and die by the relationships that we make and create and maintain. Um, and I think that that really goes to the heart of what makes a a successful professional services business.
0: Yeah. And how important, I had this great conversation the other day with another leader and his first question to me was, what makes a great culture? And my response is always, it actually, it's great. a great culture is awesome, but if you're not getting results, then it doesn't matter. And so mm. this link between strategy and culture, knowing what the work is, knowing what the outcomes are, and having the culture there to deliver it is, is really important. So how do you balance off that, this, this strategy outcome focus that I know that you have completely deep inside you <laughs> and it's like very driven to get results with yeah. the culture side, which some people take culture to mean we have to be nice to everybody. Like, How do you, how do you make that balance?
1: Yeah, look, it is tricky and, and you're right. Like I've got a very dominant personality. And I'm not afraid <laughs> to, to admit it. Um, but it is it is driven by the desire to benefit everybody as a whole, and sometimes you just do have to make those tough decisions, um, and and that's what leadership's about. Um, it's about making decisions, um, about moving forward with the best information you've got at the time, um, and doing that knowing that you're making, I guess, the best choice you can for the business you're operating and the people that have entrusted um, their careers to you. Yeah, um, and and then the culture. Because the culture is so intergrained in that with um, relationships that um, the trust piece ties it all together um, is what I find. So people trust that you're making the best decisions you can for the business um, and you have to move forward. But ultimately there's some people that are never going to be happy with all the decisions you make and you've just got to say, well, look, that is life. Um, mm-hmm. You can't please everyone, um, but you do have to make decisions. You can't not make a decision because you might upset some people.
0: Yeah, and that's the difference, isn't it? So culture isn't about whether everybody's always happy. It's about, yeah. um, oh, have we got the right behaviours and values in play that are going to deliver the results that we've set together or the outcomes that we're looking for as a business?
1: That's right. And you're dead right there. It's about the values and it's about the alignment around those values and those outcomes. Um, culture and strategy both fall apart as soon as um, the values and, and outcomes are not aligned within a mm. business.
0: Yeah, I truly, I agree with you. I think alignment is one of those key issues that so many businesses face. And, you know, people think that the size of the business, the minute businesses get big, that alignment's even harder. But, I mean, to be honest, it sits across all sizes of business, doesn't it? If there's no alignment, it, it it's
1: yeah. difficult. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a marriage. You can have, have alignment between two people and you can not have alignment with two people. So it, you don't need a big team to for alignment to be critical. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what's, uh, I, I mean, you've also been like partnered with me on my journey over the last few years. And mm. I know <laughs> we talk about feminine energy on this podcast. And I think I was saying you're like, uh, I don't know, the second or third guy on the podcast, even though we talk feminine energy is not about gender. It, it, it's currently got genderized language, I suppose. Mm. And I'm curious because you have, like you say, this very achievement focused, dominant, masculine energy streak in you. And that's what, how you succeed in what you do now. I'm curious when I started talking about feminine energy with you, what, what did you
1: think? Um, it was, it was something where I was pretty unsure when you, when you first started talking about it, but I was pretty curious as to what it meant and <laughs> how, you know, I'm a big believer in you've got to keep changing and evolving yourself. Otherwise you go backwards. And I, and it, I could see from what you were telling me and all the learnings that, that I got from dealing with you that it was something I needed to embrace and I need to stay curious about, um, to continue to evolve as a leader, otherwise I would go backwards and be on the relic heap. So, <laughs> um, and I also recognize that, you know, because I do have such a dominant personality, you've got to find ways to balance that out. Um, you've got to find ways to be able to work with people without losing your own value set, but in a way you can relate to others. And, and I think, um, embracing, um, a balance between masculine and feminine energy is really important in that.
0: Mm. and mec have been kind enough uh, to invite me to speak at a couple of breakfast events on this and it's uh, it's always interesting because we get so many more women turn up than than guys mm. and i and i you know that's one of my um challenges i suppose as i'm going through with this message is how to make this um i don't know if the word is palatable but there's something around the word feminine that um men don't naturally resonate with and some absolutely hate and all oh, we're talking about is a style difference, um, but yeah, I'm just again this. Cure, would you be offended or do you find it difficult if I said, "Oh, Simon, well done, you were feminine today, and it did this, this, and this"? Would that be weird for you?
1: It might be a little bit weird, but I, but I know where you're coming from, and I think I think the challenge for people is sometimes it's seen as black or white. You've either got to have feminine energy or masculine energy. I think it's about a healthy balance between the two. Mm. Um, you know, because being strongly Masculine energy and only going that way doesn't work, and I'm sure the the same is true of being only one sided with feminine energy. I think the people that are most successful achieve a healthy balance.
0: Yeah, I um, completely agree. Yeah,
1: and
0: bizarrely enough, even talking about even looking at it and going it's black or it's white or it's one or the other is a is a dysfunctional masculine way of thinking because it's like yes. polarizing, separating, yep. putting putting like lists or structures around it to the detriment of everything yep. else. Yep.
1: Yep, absolutely yeah. and and i I think you know, very early on in my career i I, I don't think I got that right I, I don't think I had that balance well I didn't understand the value of the balance I was always willing to achieve it but i didn't if I didn't understand the value of why I needed it then I probably didn't um, push hard to do it so I think as your career evolves and your leadership journey evolves you really understand the need for for balance in a whole heap of different areas mm. um, and and to me I think that's that's been a big part of my Change journey from being a technical engineer to to being a leader, I guess.
0: Yeah, so balance and I'm guessing flexibility or adaptability as well, so that you can change your style as needed.
1: Absolutely, I I think that's something you you really taught me as well is um, the ability to adapt your style based on the way others are operating as well and where their headspace may be at or their style, Um, because to be able to effectively get through to a whole range of personalities and and we all know in business you, you deal with people on all ends of the spectrums of personality types, you have yeah. to be able to model behaviours that align, not fully, but somewhat align with those people's um, expectations. Otherwise, you can't develop a relationship and build tr- trust with them. So yeah, it's yeah. pretty important.
0: It's like speaking their language is the way I phrase it. It's like um,
1: Absolutely.
0: It, it can be seen as master manipulation. If you like, if you take it to pure evil, it's like um, looking and going, I know how to get in your head. Uh, but if we take it uh, like a stage back from evil and look at it as um, flexibility. I love the, the saying uh, that the person with the most behavioral flexibility controls the system. As in, if you can adapt to whatever's happening around you or the people around you, then you speak their language and you can get results.
1: Yeah, because you're using it for understanding to build your understanding of where someone's coming from and why they're making the decisions they're making, right? Yeah. Um, because that's not an evil intent. That's a, that's a that's a mutually beneficial intent.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and I think that's um, if everyone acted like that in business, I think the world would be a better place.
0: Yeah, and it's that yeah, just that pure ability to look at somebody with no judgment and say, I'm mm. I can understand where you're coming from. I can empathise where you're coming from
1: and respond appropriately. Yeah, absolutely absolutely so thank you for teaching me me more about that Rebecca because I think I'm stronger as a result of um, those learnings over the last few years absolutely
0: oh that's that's really good to hear so as you know I mean I talk about feminine energy but I'm so about balance and uh, flexibility and I think if like we just said if all leaders could take that we'd have a very different workplace Mm -hmm. Um, and if they could dump the need to be right as well I think sometimes we we get so much certainty through our knowledge or our experience and so this need to be right follows us around whereas no judgment balance flexibility is, it counteracts that you know it means you can have great conversations with people and explore what's going on for them
1: yeah that's right because you just don't know where the the best alternative solution is going to come from right and it's generally left field from someone else um it's not really from yourself so if you think you're the one with all the answers then you're you're a definitely not thinking
0: right <laughs> yeah. so if I if I take engineers to the extreme which I know is mm. unfair but I'm gonna do it it the uh, engineers have amazing brains and amazing knowledge and a lot of the time when I meet people in this space the, the the need to be right or the need to know stuff comes out strongly with engineers do you think that's a fair assumption or a fair talk about engineers
1: Oh, absolutely. There's certainly some people who are like that. And then there's, you know, it's a spectrum of people out there that have, uh, have, have managed that need to be the, the one version of the truth or the only version of the truth. Um, and successfully built careers, um, by, by challenging that, uh, mm. that notion. But the problem with, you know, engineering is some things are right or they're not right, either a bridge can stand up or a bridge can't stand up, you know. Yes. So so sometimes you want people to be sure that they're right. If they're... <laughs>
0: yeah, I want <laughs> like, certainty there, yes. I, want, yeah. I want
1: certainty when I'm driving over the Gateway Bridge that uh, that person knew they were right and they <laughs> were right. <laughs> but that's different to leadership. Yes, I <laughs>
0: yeah. suppose it's this ability to... Um... To, as we talked about flex our style but flex it to the situation so like, absolutely if someone's sending people to space or building bridges yeah. we want to know that that's going to work Absolutely. Um, <laughs> dealing with people teams communication that's when we we need to adapt more
1: yep absolutely and some of the best leaders i've seen are engineers and some of the worst leaders i've seen are engineers so i think like in all disciplines and all career paths you get a full spectrum of people and um Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think uh, I love seeing engineer leaders who use all of that knowledge that they've built over their time in their career, and they they can use that as a basis, but they flex everything else on top of it. So they know Mm. that they can sense check really, really well because they've got the knowledge behind them, but they don't go in with that. They go in with working with other people, collaborating, building on ideas together, and I think that's a brilliant skill set to have. Mm.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So,
0: so tell us a bit about what you're up to now because, um, as I said earlier, you guys made the decision to step back from the day-to-day management of MEC and hand it over to the management team and become directors only, effectively. Mm. And so what, what's, what's opened up for you in that space? What, what are the things we have been able to explore now?
1: Yeah, so I, I guess it's given me an opportunity to chase what I'm really passionate about, which is, you know, focusing on people, culture and strategy. Um, and really opened up the opportunity for me to start working with other businesses in the, um, professional service and mix sector, um, in an advisory capacity. Um, and it's really an opportunity for me to give back to businesses that have going on the same journey that we've been on over the last, you know, 15, 14 years. Um, just love sharing that experience and, uh, seeing others grow as a result.
0: And so this is yet another stage of the leadership journey, isn't it? This ability to move from uh, an executive or managing director, direct leadership role into a board and advisory role. So what are some of the differences in leadership style there are you seeing that you have to bring?
1: Yeah, it's a a really good question because I I think the challenge is how do you move from when you're in a direct leadership role and particularly in a managing director role, you're making decisions on behalf of the business. Um, In an advisory role, you're actually there not to make decisions. You're there to help people arrive at decisions themselves. So what i found, I've had to sort of translate what is my process for decision-making versus what decisions am I making and and helping people, uh, I guess, recreate those decision-making processes for themselves. So you're helping people arrive at a conclusion without pushing them down a particular path.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, so you're, you're modeling for them. You're saying this is, this is the process of thinking. Yeah. Um, apply that. Yeah.
1: That's right. And it's, you know, encouraging people to ask the question of what if and, and go, well, do I need more decision- information to make a decision? Um, you know, what's the worst that could happen if I did make a decision with what I've got today? Um, you know, how do I articulate what are the things I don't know? I don't know. Um, what are those barriers that, uh, stop me or the fears that stop me from making decisions so how do you encourage people through that journey so they can actually become better leaders themselves and that's why I really like the advisory space
0: yeah and were there any challenges for you personally because I know how you like to make decisions and get stuff done (laughs) (laughs) so that's a a very masculine way of operating yeah and I'm just kind of going yeah so this is like it's a step removed it's really rewarding I get that Mm. curious Well, there personally were there any challenges there
1: Oh, look, there are. And it's, I, I guess I've been fortunate. It's not the only business that I've been out of the startup since uh, stepping into a non-exec role. So I have started up a, a capital fund out of Singapore and that is, that is centered around making decisions. fortunately. <laughs> 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 so, I, so I can still, yeah, that's right. And I think it is about um, not denying what my underlying drivers are, um, but going, well, how do I fulfill that part of my needs? Uh, and I can do that through one particular type of business, but how do I also fulfill the needs to Help other people and continue growing relationships and and culture and and strategy, which is another key passion of mine. How do I, how do I allow multiple paths to start to, to be created and move forward?
0: I love it because it's a balance again, isn't it? It's like going, there's these different parts of me and how, what drives me. And I know that good life is having those all satisfied in some way. So it's brilliant. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And knowing that you don't have to get it all from the same place. I think that's probably one of the mistakes I made early on in my career. Expecting my job to provide me with all the satisfaction, mm. right? And and becoming becoming the job rather than it becoming a part of who I am. Um, if that makes sense, I, I think I think realizing that you have to find fulfillment and, and a satisfaction from a range of things, not just your career
0: completely agree and I uh, I talk to people about making sure that they've got many vehicles in place to meet their needs and the job Mm. or the career or the business whatever it is for them is only one of them that's right Uh, and Mm. there's so many other ways to make sure that you're living a good life in that way
1: yeah yeah Yeah. because life is short I think you you told me um once if you count up count out the number of weekends (laughs) you've got left and how many games of golf that is it's pretty depressing (laughs) so
0: yeah, well, you're a little bit younger than me, I think, but we're both similar age. So I yeah. think yeah, we've got about 40 years or 2,000 weeks left.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I tell you what, I'm going to need more than 2,000 weeks to improve my golf game, that's
0: for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, if. Um I'm thinking about key messages from you. So, cause you've had such an interesting career business leadership journey. So I think there's some key messages around if you, if you're a technical engineer and you want to move into leadership, what are some of the things that would be useful from your experience? And then there's some key messages around how to drive a culture in an organization. So do you want to give us a couple of insights into the engineer, the technical engineer to leader journey? What would be some key insights for you there to pass on?
1: Yeah, I think one of the key insights I took me a while to have was that I didn't need to have all the answers and that to trust other people to deliver them for me and allow others to make mistakes but guide them through the process um, mm. is one of the key things because if you are positioning yourself to always be the one to come up with all the solutions, you can't transition out of that uh, and move into a leadership role. So, um, you know, to lead large teams, you've got to trust a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and you have to reach that position of trust very early. Um, so you've got to embrace that others, um, are experts in their field. You've got to embrace that they're not always going to be right and will make mistakes, but you've got to be supportive, um, in the culture that you create, um, to allow, um, mistakes to be made, but for the process to continue to move forward.
0: Yeah. And this, um, this piece around not having all the answers is coming up, coming up a lot. And I think, um, you said something there about trusting early. And one of the things that people say to me is, well, I'll give somebody trust when they've shown that they've earned it.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't I'm, work like that, no, does it? <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: what if you gave trust first? How different yeah. would it be? Yep. So yep. very conditional. People have a very conditional perspective of trust and also respect. Like I'll give respect yeah. when I'm respected, top
1: thing. Um, yeah, well, it's a chicken and egg, isn't it? Because if you give someone trust, then they actually start to build respect for you. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you, if you're willing to give something, be the first one to give something away. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah it's so fascinating. So I, I'm always very much like, yeah, give trust. Like, yeah. And I, I truly believe that people that find it difficult to give trust don't know how to manage themselves, their own selves when they don't mm. get it, if you know what I mean. So it's actually a self-protection thing to not give it first.
1: Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's the fear that holds you back from anything, right? The fear of, Am I going to make the right decision? Fear. Can I trust some fear of, am I going to get it wrong? Like you've got to, to move from a doing role to a leadership role, you've got to, um, embrace the fear because you'll never get rid of fear fully. Um, mm. it's there to protect ourselves from making really silly decisions. Um, but I think you've got to embrace that fear and, and acknowledge it and then go, okay, I acknowledge that that's a fear. How do I overcome that fear? Yeah. Um, to be able to move forward. And I think if you want to go on that transition from being, a technical person to a leader, you've got to, you've got to, a trust people and you've got to embrace and acknowledge those fears.
0: Awesome. And what about an insight into driving culture through multiple levels of team and having that culture come out in an organization? How, what are some insights there? I think
1: you've just got to have a crack, to be honest. Um, <laughs> cause there's uh, the one thing I found, like I listen to a lot of people, listen to a lot of podcasts and there's no one size fits all for, for generating great culture for a team, right? No, I, I think the bits that I found—I cherry pick bits from everybody that I I meet, and yourself included. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Stuff I find that stuff that really resonates with me, I can apply in a really honest and open way, in a way that people go, he believes that. But like you've got to believe in what it is that you're trying to put out there as the culture of your business, yeah. And then people will follow it when they can see that you believe it and you walk that talk,
0: yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the critical parts of that. So we talk about driving culture and everyone thinks it's actions that you need to take at an organizational level. Was a lot of the time it's you as a person, like, like you say, are you walking the talk? Do you have really great functional behaviors? Do you yeah. embrace uncertainty? Do you make mistakes and learn from them? all of those things that which are a personal self-awareness piece yeah. rather than it just be about what, what plans you drive through an organization, I suppose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you might have said to me once, it's, you know, also, your ability to show vulnerability, um, is, you know, a really great pathway to building trust with people. So, um, yeah, I think that's another important part. No one's infallible and mm. you know, we all make mistakes. Um, and we're all people, right? And. People relate best to other people, not robots, so be a person. Yes. <laughs> show, that, show, show that you're a person. Yeah. Yes, completely yeah. agree. Yeah. And
0: that's just such an awesome note to end on when we've been talking about people, culture, strategy, leadership for the last half an hour or so. So, Simon, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's a pleasure to have picked your brain, um, and I look forward to connecting next time we catch up.
1: Fantastic, Rebecca. Thanks for having me, and um, best of luck with the podcast series. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to listening to the other speakers you've got going. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Simon, for being on this podcast and sharing your insights. I love your messages about moving up an organization from an engineer all the way up to leadership and board roles. And I think there's some great insights there for anyone who has aspirations of that journey too. And always, it's great to talk about strategy and culture and how we need both. If you're interested in connecting with Simon, go check him out on LinkedIn. His name is Simon Cohn, and that's spelled C-O-H-N. And thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Captivating Leadership Podcast with Rebecca Livesey. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review as this helps us spread the message and keep the conversations going. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, go check out her website on AchieveLeadSucceed.com where you can sign up to receive her ebook on the five C's of feminine energy and a video of Rebecca talking about leadership and feminine energy. And we've also got a Facebook group where we talk about all things leadership and culture, particularly around masculine and feminine energy. And that's called Captivating Leadership. So you're very welcome to join us there too. See you soon.